Hey folks, welcome to Digital Grocer. Mark, this is what, episode 10? Big number 10. <laughs> Big number 10. That's uh, right. That's it's a little, still younger than me, which is which is awesome. <laughs> it is a decade in years. It's decade. It's a decade. It's a decade, show. it's a decade show, and we are recording live here at Mercatus Technologies in mm -hmm. our beautiful mini studio in one of the boardrooms that we've so carefully set up. And it's a rainy day in downtown Toronto, but it's crisp here in the office. It's crisp. It threatens the snow this weekend. I know. And I can see a Christmas tree in the one of the condos across the street. I know. I actually, the other morning when I was having breakfast in the kitchen, I actually made a makeshift sign and it kind of said, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Halloween's not even over and they had the and up, Christmas And up goes tree. the tree. Up goes the tree. It's, it is like retail, folks. Um, we just got back from an amazing event in Las Vegas. Grocery shop. It was fantastic. Fantastic inaugural event. Yep. For the the whole team at uh, at Shop Talk, which is kind of you know, grocery shop is the offshoot. Correct. Twenty two hundred attendees. Yes. Yep. And the aria was amazing. You know, great facility. Great facility. Mercatus was a level five sponsor. Yep. Our logo was on the lanyards, which yep. was amazing. Yep. It was cool to kind of see those things. And our logo was on these massive banners kind of all over the convention center. Well, it was it was kind of a neat happenstance because when you came back from Shop Talk and said, you know, how wonderfully organized it was and the content and the, and the traffic and the thought leadership that came out of it. So we jumped on Grocery Shop as soon as it was announced. And mm -hmm. I think getting up there as one of the lead sponsors was uh, was smart, but also a little humbling when... By the time the show arrives, you've got Salesforce and IBM, Forder, and Oracle, Label Insight, Oracle, Google, all up there. Insane. Yeah, and it was. I think. I think for me, this kind of all crystallized when we uh, Mercatus hosted the Friends of the Industry dinner mm -hmm. on the Monday night, yeah. and we got a chance to really spend some quality time with some retailers as well as some fellow partners that are were attending the event as well. No, I didn't get a chance to go to any of the tracks because we were inundated with 25 one-on-ones and as well as some some partnership activity on the right. trade show floor. And, you know, the energy alone in the room confirmed that there's some massive disruption happening in this space. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it is coming in because of, you know, I, I we did a little bit of press the other day, um, a magazine interview, and mm -hmm. I kind of cited that, you know, the major pivot point would have been when Amazon acquired Whole Foods, mm -hmm. that really at the end of the day, the industry has taken notice that if a major tech company can come into this vertical, yeah. in this market, people need to wake up. It was like a shot of adrenaline right into the heart of grocery. Absolutely. And I think that was felt on the floor yep. at, at grocery shop. When I say the energy was palpable, it reminded me like, it felt like a startup, mm -hmm. you know, where you just, you don't know where you're going, but you know you need to do something and you got to figure things out because you need to innovate. If you don't innovate and if you're not moving forward, if you're not acting like a tech company mm -hmm. to a certain extent, I think the market's going to leave you behind. But listen, folks, as always, we're not the experts here. Mm -hmm. So we have somebody... A native New Yorker who's transplanted in the ATL, who's uh, who's who's dialed in, and he survived. I mean, he told us uh, he is proof that you can leave New York City. His name is Warren Schulberg, and he's a guru in this space. So he's a business journalist, contributing editor to the Robin Report, Forbes.com, and progressive business media, and he knows retail. 
As a former editor-in-chief for several leading business-to-business publications for the retailing industry and now a media contributor and consultant, he has chronicled the good, the bad, and certainly, folks, the ugly of the business and a career spanning four decades. That's amazing. God, that's that's way more podcast than we'll ever do, right? <laughs> His award-winning commentaries elicit both praise, and certainly for me, it's all praise and complaints. He welcomes them both equally. His guest lectured at the Columbia University Graduate School of Business and been honored by the International Furnishings and Design Association and the Fashion Institute of Technology. He's been cited by the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, and many other media, and is the expert in the field. He expects to be doing this for the duration. Warren, it is a pleasure having you on our podcast today. Well, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate being here, and I don't know who wrote that bio, but it's certainly, uh, I don't recognize that person. So that's... <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll be properly matched by the end of the, uh, by the, end of the <laughs> podcast, I have no doubt. And Warren, you attended grocery shop, you attended many of the tracks. What stood out for you? Well, I had a lot of the same observations that you guys did, which is that this is a real tipping point for the grocery and CPG business. Uh, And I guess that's what astonished me the most is as somebody who covers a lot of both grocery and general merchandising, the grocery business is still three to five years behind general merchandising in this digital conversion. And I guess it really hit home how much work the industry still needs to do to catch up to both overall retailing and frankly to its customers. So a lot of people talked about Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods as kind of the the defining moment when the industry realized that they needed to get their act together. And, And I think that's true. So that was about 18 months ago and we've certainly seen a lot of activity since then, but there's a lot more this, uh, this sector needs to do to catch up. I found it odd. And Mark, mm-hmm. th- tell me if I'm wrong here, but I didn't get a sense of anyone was talking about meal kits anymore. No, I, I, and again, we didn't go to all the tracks, but I definitely think that the focus was on online and offline and bringing them together. Right. And we did a, we did a specific mm-hmm. episode. I can't remember what the episode number is on meal kits. We, right. had, we had Sean Butler, Butler yep. on a call with us and he's kind of become kind of the quasi expert in this space in mm-hmm. terms of the marketing aspect, the operational aspect. So I expected something more of a presence for the meal kits vendors Correct. to yep. be at the show. I didn't see them. Warren, what's your sense? Is, is this something that has come and gone? Yeah, it's certainly seemed that way. I, you know, I think if this conference had been a year ago, meal kits would have been one of the top two or three topics that everybody would have been talking about and the potential. And it's kind of a little played out. I think there were a couple of meal kit companies that were on some of the tracks. They spent a lot of times kind of defending the, their business model and saying, it's it's not over, we're, we've still got a viable position in this sector. But again, a lot of the uh, bravado and braggadocio that uh, that you might have seen a year ago has all but disappeared. And in all the presentations, whether they were the companies themselves making presentations or interviewers uh, doing Q&As with them, the elephant in the room was retention rates. And, and hardly anybody talked about that. In my mind, what you're seeing on, on meal kits is that they have, they have migrated to, to in-store what 
some of the big grocers are doing, either buying uh, the meal kit companies outright or connecting with partnerships, that seems to be the model that's going to work rather than a, a direct-to-consumer subscription model. That one just does not seem to have any long-term legs. Warren, you're absolutely right. We were at the Digital Food and Beverage Show in June in yeah, Chicago. Correct. And there was a very heavy meal kit presence there, both on the show floor as well as on the tracks. And it just speaks to the speed of change in the industry that four months later, it's now almost negligible. Yeah. And, you know, we could do a whole show on this part, but I've always thought, you know, from talking to Sean and talking to some others in the industry, is the reality is the amount of capital required to do meal kits properly to eke out mm -hmm. any form of margin is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And so your capital requirements day one, typically, if you're wanting to do this at scale, I'm not saying that everyone does this at scale, but if you want to do this at scale, so your costs alone are significant. You know, the equipment that's required or your renting facilities and so on. And Sheft is a great example mm -hmm. of that, right? I think they ended up buying some old location and equipment from mm -hmm. the folks over at Fresh and Easy on the outskirts of LA. And so are your capitals high? And then suddenly you're using a, some sort of a subscription model. So by the time your subscription model catches up, you're generating any form of revenue to cover your costs, you're lagging behind. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with depleted stores of, 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 of money mm -hmm. and you're having to continuously raise. So in comes in the retailer thinking, oh my God, this is another distribution channel for us. Let's buy this company. And then suddenly somebody in operations at retail is left with this dilemma to say, well, do we continue funding this? And if we're using the in-store channel as, an, as the next form of distribution, why bother? Because you as the consumer, you're going to go in. Are you going to go to the aisle where you see a meal kit where you're still going to have to make it yourself at home? Right. Or are you going to go to the ready-made meal where you just scoop in some sort of container and take it home? I, I, if you're asking me, convenience yeah. is the factor. Exactly. Exactly. So, yep, yep. There's no question about yeah. it. And I think you need to put meal kits in the context of the of what's going on in the overall subscription-based model out there. The apparel folks that have tried that, whether that's Stitch Fix or Trunk Club, have seen their expectations dramatically reduced in that while there is a customer for it, it's much, much smaller than, than folks had originally projected. You know, you're even seeing it. A, a couple of the auto manufacturers tried subscription models. Cadillac had one where you paid a flat fee and you could you could trade you could come in every 30 days and pick up a different car and they've just discontinued that so i think what's happening in meal kits reflects what's going on in the broader subscription-based model which is it's a very limited audience 100 percent true now i want to kind of say also cadillac is a brand that's struggling to capture the millennial market and yes they just recently shut down their facility in manhattan they spent yep, yep, millions they did, yep. on that facility. And fired, fired the guy who, who was running it. Exactly. Yep. My God, we can have a separate show on Cadillac. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, there were two things at the show that I, I was disappointed in. And Warren, I want to get your opinion on this. No one's doing anything sexy with voice. Unless I'm wrong. I agree with you. The, the potential is there. Uh, I think everybody's kind of stumbling around trying to figure out how to make this work. There's a certain number of people that are certainly still intimidated by it. But I thought somebody had a great point, and I can't remember who said it, which is that until pay by voice becomes a, an accepted practice and the technology is there and the consumer feels 
that it's secure, until you see that, voice is not going to catch on in any great degree until that happens. I think that's a great point. Yeah, that is a really good point. I've also, you know, from our perspective here in Mercatus, when we look at the technical landscape of the various solutions, whether it's Apple, whether it's Amazon or Google, Mm -hmm. no one's setting the standard. And you're having to rely on these third-party abstraction layers to be able to deploy whatever you build across the different platforms. But that's not that's not perfect yet. I also think that for voice to be really successful, it needs to be paired with some sort of AI technology that streamlines. I don't think I would stand in front of a device. And I had a senior's moment the other day, so which I want to share with you. Uh, I don't think I'd stand in front of a device and actually rhyme off my entire grocery list. So, yeah. yep. right. And just, just yep. say Sylvain is not a senior yet. No, but I have a white beard. So that kind of, <laughs> that kind of helps out. There's going to be a lot of Betamax dead ends here before uh, this thing uh, actually, actually falls into line. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, at home we have, we have the Amazon device, mm-hmm. we have the Google home device and early in the morning, like 4am I'm standing in front of it to have it turn on the lights. And I, I said to it, What's your name again? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't even. Is not, it Alexa? Is it Siri? I just could not. Like, what's your name again? <laughs> I felt like I was cheating on it with the other device. I don't know. Like, that was my senior's moment at four o'clock in the morning talking to it. Um, Warren, any sense why we continue to have dialogues about bad data in re- in grocery retail? About bad data? Yeah. Yeah, bad product data. It c- continues to be the theme like, hey, we don't have good data. Hey, we don't have good data. That's, did that come across in any of your talks? Not so much. I think what I heard more often was there's plenty of data. We don't know what to do with it, and we don't know how to interpret it, and, and we don't know where we should be focusing our attention on it. So I didn't necessarily pick up that it was bad it just was overwhelming and the people who need to use that data to to run their businesses um just need a whole lot more guidance and direction on on how to interpret it and how to use it i agree with you warren i think there's two themes here there's the business operations component to the data and and then there's also the product information data that at least we're seeing from our perspective is when you're going to sell products online and you're not getting the quality or the integrity of the data from the retailer and the CPG, that's problematic. And that's where we work with companies like Ladson, you know, Label Insights. I think when you kind of look at those different corporations, right, at the end of the day where it becomes a challenge for us and for the retailers is not all the seasonal content mm-hmm. is in those systems. Two is forget private label because if you're employing IRI, or you're employing Damon, mm-hmm. they kind of control that bucket of data that may not may not make itself available outside of the POS systems and into the more pure marketing systems, and then trickle down into a company like us or any one of our competitors. So that starts to affect a lot of things. So you get not so positive search results on the integrated technologies that are out there, missing product images. So it has an influence on the shopper's confidence in, in the technology, the willingness to use it, and so on. Then it becomes it becomes solve the problem by brute force. Mm-hmm. Get a room full of people, buy a bunch of products, and they type the data in. And it was weird. The only session I attended was on the last day. 
on the Wednesday, it was a, a theme for 45 minutes to talk about product data. And I was just kind of blown away. On my way out, I was I was dumbstruck how Kroger, Target, and Walmart had a really strong presence at the show. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, are the mid-sized players really going to start to struggle and how they're going to stay competitive? Warren, what are your thoughts on that for the smaller regional retailers? Uh, had exactly the same thought. There was one presentation, and I'll be polite and not say who it was, but it was a it was a regional upscale grocer with about 15 or 18 stores. The person who was putting who was running their tech side was talking about how they had how they had launched their app and all the struggles they had with it and the thinking that went into it. That would have been a great presentation three years ago, but the fact that this operation had only reached that point in the process. The app had been up, I don't know, three weeks or six weeks or something like that. I mean, that's very disturbing that that they're so far behind the curve. And I think what you're seeing is, again, it's in the grocery business, but it's in every business uh, sector that I follow, is that the gap between the haves and the have-nots just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the big companies, uh, the Kroger's, the Walmart's, uh, Albertsons, um, they have the balance sheet to be able to finance this. These these local guys, small guys don't. I, you know, I think that's that's a lot of why Whole Foods sold out was that they realized that uh, if they were going to be competitive, they needed a they needed a sugar daddy, and uh, and it was Walmart. So uh, I, I, it was Amazon. I'm sorry, it was Amazon. So those little guys are are struggling and you're going to continue to see them fall further and further behind. At least that's my impression. Yeah, I would agree. I would go even as far as saying in this day and age, if you're not taking, whether it's digital e-commerce or anything that's considered omni-channel, if you're not taking this as a strategic approach, independent of your size as a retailer, and you're taking a, a me too decision and co-opting your brand and your customers into the hands of a service provider like an Instacart. Good luck. Yep. Because yep. I will say a lot of these retailers never properly bounce back out of the last recession. Right. So when the next recession hits and if you're cash starved, I'm going to assume to a certain extent a 15% premium on your groceries coming through Instacart is going to dwindle away fairly quickly and people are going to trade out of the vertical, trade down into food banks, trade down into something Which something they did cheaper. back in 2008. 100%. Yep. And the retailers that invested in their private label brands and in their stores did excessively well and have maintained some of the degree of the number of customers that have come in. But they're going to suffer. So they took the me too approach and the non-strategic approach. What I find very interesting, there is a class of strong regional retailers mm -hmm. that are out there that are going on the partnership trail mm -hmm. fast and furious and are eliciting support to be able to achieve the, what they need to do. Warner, you did you get that sense as well at the show? Yeah, the partnership model, I thought, was really evident in across a, a large number of presentations that even no matter what size your business is, the ability to hook up with somebody that can bring you something that you can't do on your own or that's prohibitively expensive is becoming more and more attractive. And 
again, the biggest example is Kroger. You know, Kroger hooked up with Akaido and said what it's going to cost us to to set up that that direct to consumer consumer distribution model is going to be so expensive. Let's connect with these guys who know how to do it. And we'll save a couple of steps. We'll save some money. I think you're going to see a lot more of that all up and down the spectrum here, from big guys like Kroger to to some of the regionals. Do you think we'll see more acquisitions in the future? Yeah, you're going to see that too. Some of the players are, are, going, to, are going to keep rolling up. And you know, certainly somebody like boxed and you've got to look at, at Instacart and some of those some of those vehicles that get product from point A to point B, to me, that's where you're going to see acquisitions as opposed to Albertsons buying Joe's grocery store in Idaho. Uh, and, and no offense to Joe, but or Idaho for that matter. But, um, <laughs> but those kind of pieces that that the businesses can't do by themselves is where I think you'll see the acquisitions. And again, to me, that that distribution piece of it is the one that is the most missing from the big guys. Yeah, and the one thing I think the industry has gotten over, and it's an interesting hurdle. So I, I remember, Mark, many, many moons ago when I was in the research space, we were approached by walmart.com, mm-hmm. the first embodiment of them doing e-commerce. It wasn't pretty, trust me. This is 1997, 97, 98. And the internet is just really starting up. And they wanted to know why their card abandonment rate at the time was north of 82%. And they didn't want to pay us to do the research because they're like, hey, we're Walmart and you'll love our, our logo and your PowerPoint. So I did you know, about a week's worth of research for them. And people were using the online system as a glorified catalog mm-hmm. to determine if something was available in store. You fast forward to Mercatus, and in our research, we've clearly demonstrated to a certain extent consumers will pay more for convenience. Absolutely. Whether it's a pickup in-store fee or a personal shopper fee or you know a, a light markup on a product, nothing to the tune of 10 to 15%, right? right? There's a certain price sensitivity. I think the industry has gotten over this notion that this isn't about price anymore. And Warren, did that echo for you in your travels at Grocery Shop? Yep, there was one speaker, and I, I think it was the fellow from Box, and he said that in the beginning, the buying online was all about price, and that while that's still a factor, it's much more about convenience and brand now. And in fact, I'm looking at his quote, and I couldn't agree more with that. This is what the consumer wants. The fellow from Walmart, uh, Tom Ward, who heads up their digital operations, said the same thing, and I'm just going to read his quote too, which is, he said, everything we hear from customers is that they want to save time. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's changing the equation as, as to why people shop online. So look at Amazon Prime. It, it may not always be the cheapest game in town, but you know it's going to arrive on your doorstep day after tomorrow, if not this afternoon. So that's a biggie. Absolutely. You know, Albertson has, has just hit $5 billion in gross revenue for their online business. Uh, one of our customers, Wise Markets, announced mm-hmm. in a press release that their online sales are up 36%. Yep. Okay. That's a great indication of that. Mm-hmm. Warren, I'm sure you're the type of person who has this amazing crystal ball in front of him. What do you see as the future? Anything in that might be. Do you, are you seeing more tech? Are you seeing a revolution out there? What are you seeing? 
Well, I've been doing this long enough that I'm smart enough to make really safe short-term predictions and really crazy long-term predictions because I know I have a good chance of hitting the short-term ones and I know uh, the long-term ones will all be gone by the time that they happen, so I won't be held accountable. Uh, <laughs> in, in the short term, you're going to see some more consolidation, some more partnerships, but you're going to see, I like what Kroger's doing. I think I think that they are trying a lot of different things, and you could look at it and say, okay, they're, they're, they're throwing everything up against the wall to see what works and what doesn't work. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea right now because uh, nobody has the right formula and there's there's no track record here that says you need to do these three things and you'll be successful. So I, I like what Kroger's doing. Doug McMillan at, at, at Walmart has really changed the culture there and has instilled a, uh, a new sense of urgency and a dynamic that didn't exist before. I do think in general merchandise, Jet.com will prove to be one of the one of the least uh, effective acquisitions uh, made in this space, but I think that they uh, they're doing a lot of a lot of the right things. Um, the big factor, short term, is that is that nobody is still figuring out the exact model that's going to work. To me, when I see gr- a grocery store employee walking up and down the aisles picking an order gathering it up and then getting it ready to, to get picked up or delivered, I can't see that being a, a profitable business model. And so these direct-to-consumer distribution centers, such as uh, Akaido is doing, I saw somebody else uh, just announced the last couple of days that they were investing in a similar, a similar operation. To me, I think that's going to prove to be the right way to do it. So um, I would look for more of that, even though Walmart says we've got 3,000 distribution points. I, I, I just don't think that they're efficient or cost-effective to do it that way. And I, and I think that model is going to go away. And, and the folks that have these dedicated distribution centers, that's going to be the way to go. The other thing, um, Amazon is certainly never to be under underestimated. But they certainly haven't found the right way to make to make the grocery business work yet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they're going to have anywhere near the dominance in CPG that they have in general merchandise. If if you say that they're doing between forty and fifty percent of all general merchandise online sales, they're not going to be anywhere near that in grocery, and that's a great opportunity for other players. So Warren, I think that's a. You brought up some good points. In my view, Sylvan will jump in. I think there's definitely a trend between the automation component and then what do the smaller grocers do from a value and convenience perspective and how do they retain that relationship with their shoppers. And our job as a company that advises in this space is to try to walk both lines and to make sure that we're bringing what works on the technology side to a smaller grocer who is just trying to compete in a, in, on a level playing field. If you look at the retailers that are investing mm-hmm. in, in robotics and kind of the automation. If it, it's cool stuff. Yeah, if I, if I look at Kroger, I mean, their acquisition of Harris Teeter and Harris Teeter being you know a small regional player, I mean, I'm not knocking their success from a revenue perspective, but you know 
they've operated a fairly mature, profitable in-store pick and pack click and collect solution, you know, that I think I can only assume that on certain locations has crest over the two to 300 orders a day, if not more. Um, And I think, you know, kudos to Kroger seeing that as an opportunity and saying at scale, because Kroger at scale is what over 25, 3000 locations. Yeah. It would be difficult for them to sustain five to 600 locations in in that model because then there's a compounding effect that happens with the labor and they're unionized. Yeah. Right. So that becomes a bit of a challenge and that's it. I'm on the fence on the robotics aspect of it. I think robots in the context of what Amazon's done or uh, lately in Canada, Canadian Tire has done in their distribution centers or Sobeys is a great example Mm -hmm. in, in terms of the back end. But the rapid effect of picking and packing, touching food directly, I'm curious. And I say I'm on the fence only because I've not seen it physically myself with my own eyes. But I'm interested. I mean, I think it is the wave of the future. I think when you hit that level of maturity as a retailer and you're cresting over that two to 300 transactions a day per location, right? You know, when we talk about this, we're our own clients that, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 to 100 transactions a day, you're going to be dealing with two, three, four or five people. And then you're going to hit the next level. Then you're going to start streamlining pick solution, which is going to require wave pick zone pick and this is depend on the footprint you're working with right, right? so if you're in 115,000 square feet it's a big different problem versus if you're in 45,000 square feet so then if you mature beyond that then you're into to be honest if you look at Auchan or uh in France mm-hmm. they went dark store right yeah they yeah. went dark store so they went as far as saying hey listen let's merchandise this facility for extreme efficiency. And now they are carefully looking at the next level, which is robotics, because they've crossed to the next level. It seems like we're, we're skipping a step here in North America, which is the, the idea of the dark store. I know in some cases, for some of the companies that are doing just the delivery aspect of it, they're being asked to do picking and packing in only a few lo- uh, locations, not to cause out-of-stock issues in other locations. Mm. So I think the future is going to be amazingly interesting. Warren, I want to say thank you so much for joining our little but mighty <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm very glad to, to do it. I I always learn a lot by hearing what, what, other, what other folks are, are, are thinking about. So um, very enjoyable. Thank you. But I think the students today, were, it was Mark, Kevin, and I. Trust me on that one. So thank you. We're all made just a little bit mightier. <laughs> Thank you. And Warren, how do people get a hold of you? I do write on a regular basis for two general retailing online uh, services. One is the Robin Report, which is robinreport.com. And one is forbes.com and write on a variety of subjects. Also, I have my own blog, which uh, I've affectionately uh, called uh, stupidbusiness.com. And... uh, you can kind of figure out what uh, what I'm commenting on on that site. There's regular posts on, on all three of those. So please check them all out, and you can reach me directly through any of those sites. Uh, my contact information is on all three of them. Perfect, perfect. Thank you. And you know, Mark, we made a, a major announcement. Yesterday. Yesterday, yes. which is the launch of? 
Mercatus Dispatch. And what is Mercatus Dispatch, Mark? Mercatus Dispatch is our unique capability to facilitate store-to-door delivery. Yes. From within the retailer's branded ex- web or mobile experience. That's great. That rolled out with Wise Markets. Absolutely. And it's, live. It's yesterday. live today. And then yeah. uh, I think just... And, av- and will be available to any other Mercatus client. Great. And then we did this. Uh, the delivery aspect is in partnership with Shipped. Correct. And uh, we're going to be making some more announcements with some new partners. In the next few weeks. In the next few yep. weeks. I'm excited to announce that. And I'm going to be traveling all over the country in the next little while to visit prospect clients, existing clients and existing partners mm-hmm. and, and future partners. So a lot of stuff coming down. And uh, folks, if you have questions and if you want to reach out to us, Mark, how do they do that? www.mercatus.com or reach us on social. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> Please send us your questions. Uh, we'd love to pontificate them with our next guest on the show and look forward to uh, episode 11 soon down the road. Folks, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>